0: As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban,
1: Send me away, that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favour in your sight, I have learnt by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know, how I have served you, and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, What shall I give you? Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pass through your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb, and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later, when you come to look into my wages with you. Every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats, and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, Good, let it be as you have said.
0: But that day, Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it, and every lamb that was black, and put them in the charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs, and set the faces of the flocks towards the striped, and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart, and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock, that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants, and camels and donkeys. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying,
1: Jacob has taken all that was our father's, And from what was our father's, he has gained all this wealth.
0: And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favour as before.
2: Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and
1: I will be with you.
0: So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was, and said to them,
1: I see that your father does not regard me with favour as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I've served your father with all my strength. Yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season, the flock I lifted up my eyes and saw a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred,
0: Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. Do.
2: Hello there, welcome to you if you're watching this at the Hove site or Shoreham site or Oasis site or watching this online. We are continuing through our series called The Promise Endures and we've reached a point now I think where we're at the beginning of the end. A few weeks ago I talked about how the story of Jacob who we find in the Old Testament book of Genesis, his life story as it's presented to us follows a similarity to the sort of Hero's journey template, where he has to leave home. He has all these shaping experiences, and then he returns home again. And we're reached the point now where he has made that decision. He realised he needs to go home, and he has this sort of epiphany moment. What am I doing? Where, where am I going? I, I need to take hold of things. He takes hold of his own destiny to an extent, and he's been working for his father-in-law Laban and he realizes he wants to go home he's kind of he's not really been following the purposes of god and he's got himself into a very messy situation but he is trying to in the passage that we've just heard extricate himself from that situation and so that's the discussion and debate about these different flocks and how the the land and the, the wealth will be divided between Jacob and Laban but also in the midst of that and we heard it at the end of the passage there he realizes or begins to realize just the extent of God's work in his life and he starts to look up and recognize God has been working through his circumstances all along. Let's consider that what does he want to do? Jacob wants to go. He wants to go home. It says that in verse twenty-five. He wants to leave Laban, and it, he also says there he wants to provide for his own family. He says that in verse. Says that in verse thirty. There. He's been working for Laban for fourteen years, and as we heard last week, he now has effectively four wives and a total of twelve children. I don't know about you, but this sense of getting his life together, I think. Jacob's a little bit slow on the uptake on that. (laughs) It's taken him 12 children to realise, I I need to take hold of the situation here. You can imagine him sort of like gathering, family meeting, family meeting, everyone get round, four wives, 12 children. Come on, family meeting, right. I have decided, I know we all enjoy living at Uncle Laban's house, but there's 17 of us now, so I have decided we need our own place. It's like, yeah, come on, Jacob. Do you get the impression that like Joseph is a bit special here? It says that as well. As soon as Joseph was born, so Rachel, the, the wife that he really loves, bears him a, a son called Joseph. It's at that moment he has this big epiphany. You get the impression with his, with his other children, you know, yeah, Reuben and Simeon and Levi, maybe they had their own beds. But by the time you get down to Issachar and Zebulun, Jacob's like, ah, oh, just, just chuck them in. They're fine. That one can sleep in a pillowcase. That one can sleep in a drawer. It's okay. And even when uh, his, his first daughter, Dinah, is born to, to Leah, you, you think Leah's like, well, you know, I think we need a bit more room here. We can't just chuck. We, you have a daughter now, Jacob. Bunk beds is not the solution to our expanding family here. But Jacob's like, ah, oh, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. And then Joseph comes along. He's like, okay, that's it. We need our own place. We are, we are moving. Jacob is, as we have seen, he's not a great guy. He is, has not been a great husband. And more than likely, he's not a great father either. But this point that he has reached, even though he's been very slow on the uptake, this desire is a good one to provide for his own family, to take responsibility for his own family. He says that, verse 30, when shall I provide for my household also? And I want to dwell on this idea for a time, because that desire is actually matched with something significant that it says in the New Testament of the Bible as well. And it's a verse that sometimes, even as Christians, we can get confused by. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, it says, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his own household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. It seems that the New Testament has a confusing sense of importance placed on providing for your own family. You're worse than an unbeliever if you don't do that. You might as well say God doesn't exist and you're not gonna follow him rather than not provide for your own family. And we get confused in our day and age, we get confused by, well, this is a bit over the top. Why does it seem that providing for your household is so important to God? We forget that we are made in God's image. And that means we are made to take responsibility in our life because God is a God who takes responsibility. He doesn't abdicate and he's made us like him. And so when he puts people on the earth and he puts them in the garden, he says, have dominion over it, cultivate the garden, take responsibility for it, have children and take responsibility for them as well and that even just saying that is a very sort of countercultural idea because we live in a society and culture that when we talk about responsibility like the air goes out of the room oh responsibility we treat it as a negative responsibility is a chore it's a burden and especially in our society where we've put such a premium on freedom And we view responsibility as something that's going to restrict our freedom and therefore is bad news for us. But the truth is, every person is made for responsibility. Actually, we flourish when we have the right sense of responsibility and handle it in the right way. Flourishing doesn't actually happen outside of responsibility. We pretend and we think it does, but actually we know that it doesn't because we see situations and see people. maybe we've experienced it in our own lives as well, where there is a sense of power, like we can do what we want, we have decisions to make, maybe we have money to make things happen, but we don't have responsibility, we get into trouble. That is the context where we do stupid things. We've seen it in people's lives. Maybe where there's sort of multimillionaire and their kids. They don't have to get a career. They don't have to. they have money. They have power, they have wealth and opportunity. And so oftentimes they make an absolute mess of their lives because they didn't have any responsibility. And they thought, well, just being free is gonna lead me straight into happiness. It doesn't. We tend to make a mess of things when we don't have some sense of being responsible with our lives actually can lead to paths of destruction and we see this in Jacob's life up to this point consider if you've been with us for the series consider Jacob consider that he has just drifted from one situation to another and left just a path of destruction everywhere he's gone he doesn't take responsibility you know when he's in his father's house his mother, Rebecca says to him, well, you need to get the, the blessing from your father. So, you know, just, follow, do, just trick him in this way and you'll get it and it'll be all good for you. And what does Jacob do? Does he say, no, that's not the right way to live. I'm, I'm going to live my own life. He could just goes, oh, oh okay then. And it, what does it happen? He gets the blessing, but he, the family blows up and he has to leave. And then he meets Laban and he wants to marry Rachel. And Laban's like, well, it's not so done in our culture that you would marry once the younger would be married before the older sister. So, you know, you you have to marry Leah as well. What does Jacob do? Does he take responsibility, stand on his own two feet and say, no, that's not right. Even though you've tricked me, I'm going to undo this and put my family together in a right way. No, he doesn't. Laban says this. He's like, oh, okay, Oh, okay, Just go along with it. It happens in his own family. We heard it last week, if you were with us. Rachel, one of his wives, you can't have children. And so he says, she says, well, I'll just take my servant and make a wife out of her. What does Jacob say? No, no, that would be a terrible thing to do. No, he's like, oh, okay. Leah? Does the same thing. Have my seven too. Oh, okay. He is just drifting from one situation to another and he's just making a mess of everything. Come on, Jacob, take some responsibility. Take hold of your life. He is lazy. He is passive. He is mooching off others and he leaves a path of destruction in his wake. It's no surprise that the moment that Jacob starts to take some responsibility finally for his life, that God's, God becomes more real to him. So those two things come hand in hand. He starts recognizing that God's promises in my life are God's at work here. And those two things, taking responsibility and realizing that we need to live in the purpose of God, those two things come together. Jacob Realizes this very late, 12 kids later, four wives later, but he gets there. What's it going to take for you to take hold of your life, to live a life of purpose and meaning? Not just be a victim, not just be drifting through circumstance, but to take hold of your life and live with a sense of responsibility over the way in which you live. Because some of you are not doing that yet. Some of you are drifting through. You might be a young person. You might be an older person. And you're just allowing circumstances to push you from one thing to another. That's not how you're supposed to live. It's not how God has made you to live. But we live in a culture that encourages it, that sees responsibility as a negative. And I think particularly the message we're giving to younger people, young adults, people have talked for years about a prolonged adolescence. The adults, 18, 19, in people in their 20s, they're just putting off things that would otherwise, in previous generations, been responsibilities that would, would come naturally. Getting married, moving out, living on your own, living independently, leaving your, your parents, getting married, having children, even starting on a career path. Now, culture changes, I get that. Different generations are going to be different. But we must be aware that if in our behavior what we're doing is just pushing away responsibility, that is not healthy. That is not good for us and it can even be and will be very destructive in our lives. If you are a grown adult, you need to have responsibility in your life. There are many examples I could talk about. I guess one example, it seems now that it's an acceptable career path. To not leave home, just to live in your parents' house for like 10 years once you make 18 or whatever and just wait until your bedroom business takes off. Wait until you make your first million from YouTube and then you go and live in a mansion or whatever. Well, A, that's not going to happen. <laughs> we see people do that. I think, oh, that's the way to live. No, that's, that's the exception, not the rule. But also when people do that and don't move out, don't try and live independent, just mooch off parents They're not standing on their own two feet and it's not good for them. And we're raising a generation who don't take responsibility, don't know how to be adults, can't cook, can't do laundry, can't hold down a job, dependent on other people. How is that generation going to do what Timothy talks about there, taking responsibility for our family, for our household, for other people, if we can't even take responsibility for ourselves? Jacob did this for years. He lived in the shadow of Rebekah. He's lived in the shadow of Laban for 14 years. And you can hear him playing the victim card. Oh, well, my mom, she just said to do this. It wasn't my fault. She just liked this. And Laban, he tricked me. And It's very easy to play the victim card. And maybe in some ways he was a victim, but he still could have taken responsibility. He still could have lived his own life and his life would be so much better for it. Take ownership of your life, Jacob. You see, what Jacob had is what many people, especially young people, have in this day and age that we live in. He had desire but without responsibility. And desire without responsibility is dangerous. When we see responsibility as a bad thing, the desire for stuff doesn't go away, but we've not we can't hook it onto a context of responsibility where it's gonna be healthy and it becomes destructive. And you know what I'm talking about here. We have generations of young people going into adulthood and trying to sort of test out adult things but want to shun responsibility, what does it lead to? It leads to broken relationships. It leads to unwanted pregnancies. It leads to people being unreliable in the workplace. It leads to people just being open their lives up to addictions and wasting money and a society that's self-serving and consumerist and, and, and narcissistic, just so concerned about me. You're not raising people to take responsibility for themselves and take responsibility for others. Now, that's a big rant about probably younger people and maybe older people watching this. You're like, yeah, Matt, you tell it. This old younger generation, they don't take responsibility. Well, young people, they're not the problem. They're simply the fruit of the previous generation. We have to recognize that. And if we have a society that just has given up on parenting and replaces it with just self-esteem-boosting exercises... And then scratches its head. Why did this generation not take any responsibility? Why they just complain about how unsafe they feel? What's the root of the problem? The root of the problem is they've not been raised to take responsibility, to take ownership of their life, to realize that, yeah, there is a big bad world out there, but you've got to get ready for it. You've got to be prepared for it. Life is tough. You're not going to get things handed to you on a plate. If 1 Timothy 5 says... If anyone does not take responsibility for his relatives and especially the members of his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. If we're going to get the next generation to be ready for that, we need to train them. Parents in the room, you need to train your children. You need to train your teenagers in the way they should go. That's what the Bible has said all along. Proverbs 22, verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Psalm 127, verse 4 Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Who does that put the responsibility on? The responsibility on parents to do what you can. It's not a formula. I know it always doesn't always work out the way we want it to. But we have that responsibility to raise and to train young people to be independent people who recognize. That God is a God who takes responsibility and wants us to live lives of purpose and of meaning and of destiny for him. You know, the teenagers of today are the parents of tomorrow and that's obvious. And we have to teach them responsibility because our culture tells them to put off responsibility for as long as possible. It's not good for them. But think about it. Flip around. If as the church... Takes, and I'm talking to parents here, but I'm also talking, If you maybe you don't have your own kids, but you're playing a part in the church. You can play a part in discipling the next generation through our youth and through small groups and friendships and other opportunities like that. That we can teach this next generation coming through to take responsibility for their lives. Because when they do, when they do, they can be dangerous for the kingdom of God. Taking, living lives of purpose and meaning, taking hold of the gospel, Becoming professional people but carrying the, the light of Christ into different workplaces. Doctors, lawyers, managers influencing the world for Christ. Seeing the church established in their generation. That's what we've got to get the next generation ready for. Jacob didn't, ha- he didn't have parents that did that for him and his life was a mess. I'm very grateful that, that I, di- I did. I did. That my parents tra- trained me in this, you know, emotionally, spiritually, practically as well. And through my teenage years, what did that look like? That meant, yeah, they did teach me the Bible, but they also taught me to cook. And when I got to 18, they, they had made it clear. When you're an adult, you're going to make your own way in the world. Now, when I was 18 years old, I got a job. When I was 19, I left home and essentially never went home again. Sent them a Christmas card. But... They, they encouraged me to live my own life and take responsibility. And it's tough. It's tough to find your own way in the. Other. But you know what happens? When you have been raised in the things of God and you're encouraged to take responsibility and you go out there in the big bad world and it's tough get, finding a job, be it getting married, raising your own kids, making ends meet. That's it's not easy. And did my parents help me out at different stages? Of course they did. Yeah, I'm not saying they cut me off, they, they blessed me. But they encourage me to stand on my own two feet. Because when you do that, God has got to come through for me. It throws you on to be dependent on God. We mustn't shelter the next generation to be dependent on us. We need to encourage them to be independent because when they take hold of their lives, they recognize, I need to live for God here. God needs to help me out here. I need to live for Him. That's what happens in Jacob's life. These two things come together, taking responsibility for his life And taking hold of the purposes of God, it's not a coincidence that those two things come together. Now, Jacob learns late, but at least he learns. So young people, get ready for responsibility. Parents, let's train as best we can, as much as it's in our power to do so, to get our young people to be the responsible providers of tomorrow. What happens next? Let me move on. That's point one and I'm running out of time. So Jacob tries to do this, he tries to become independent of Laban and that's why we get into this thing with the flocks and he's trying to move out on his own but we know from if we've listened to the the previous passages that Laban is a deceiver, he's going to trick him and Jacob wants to leave and so Jacob's like, well look, I'm looking after your flocks here but I'm just going to take the speckled ones and the black sheep and the goats, and you can have the white ones and we'll make that sense of division. And, and Laban's like, oh, okay. And then what Laban does, he takes most of them and sends them off with his with his sons. And so Jacob be left with none. But, well, he's left with a few and Jacob thinks, okay, right, I'm going to make the most of this. And he, he does a few things here, one of which is like set up these sticks. And that would have been a kind of a superstitious kind of thing that would in his eyes, cause the, the, the livestock to breed successfully. The, the scripture doesn't say that this is effective. Actually, what we see in the next chapter is that it is God that is causing the uh, sheep to be strong and his flock to grow and be blessed in that way. It's not because of the, the, the things he's doing with the plants. He has this selective breeding process and he knows favour. He has favor on his life. And so even in this moment, we're seeing that same sort of pattern of Jacob's like self-reliance. He's not really trusting God. But by the end of the passage, when we get into chapter 31, he starts to recognize that it is God that, who has caused him to prosper. And that's what we see. Jacob, in this passage, he's been wrestling with Laban wants to be free, wants to move his family and have enough livestock to support him and provide for all his family. But what he recognizes is that God breaks in and it's God who makes a way for him. And he has this idea about wanting, wanting to go home, but it's actually when God speaks that everything becomes clear and that is the moment that he decides, Right, we are, we are going And you see that in the start of chapter 31 there. God speaks about him going home. And it seems that God appears to him in a dream again. And what does God say to Jacob? He says, lift up your eyes and see. I could have made the whole sermon about that. Lift up your eyes and see what God is doing. What a tonic for our lives. What a reminder to us to be people that live with their heads up and recognize what God is doing. Jacob starts to realize that God has been at work all the time through the difficulty, through the struggle when Jacob was listening, when Jacob was not listening, when he was doing his own thing and being self-reliant. He's gone through a season of kind of stumbling through life, of struggling, of life doesn't seem to be fair. He's like, I need to have my own space here, but I'm trapped into this situation with labor. He's struggling to get free. And God says to him, get your head up. Look, I'm in control of your life. I'm at work here. Trust me. Don't be self-reliant. Trust me. And finally, Jacob realizes you know, there is more of God in verses 14 to 16 here than we have seen in any other passage about Jacob's life. I've been commenting on the fact that Jacob, the passage is about him, don't hardly even mention God. But yet this passage is full of God, because finally Jacob gets his head up. Laban gives me no favor, he says in verse 5, but God. Laban cheated me, he says in verse 7, but God. We talked about the striped and the spotted flock, and but thus God, he's recognizing. Even through that, God is at work. And then he says he has a dream, verse 12, and God said, lift up your eyes. And then he asks his wives, Rachel and Leah, and he says, what do you think? And even they say, well, it's obvious. God is at work. God has taken away Laban's wealth and given it to us. And what do they conclude? So whatever God says, we must do. What a way to live to recognize God in every circumstance, to see that he is at work and conclude God's at work here. I need to live for him. I need to make decisions according to him. I need to do what he says. I need to follow in his ways. You see, for Jacob, moving forward with his life, taking responsibility and recognizing God's plan and purpose Went hand in hand. So if you are stuck in life, if you are discouraged, maybe you're going through a tough season right now, maybe you're discouraged by the past. Maybe you are not taking responsibility in your life and you're not making decisions because you're in that place of discouragement. And you're not living confidently in the things of God. What I want to say to you today, it's time to get your head up. It's time to recognize that God's hand is on your life. It's time to recognize that he's calling you to live confidently, not in yourself, but live confidently in him. You see, Jacob gets hold of this and he gets hold of God and he starts to live with purpose. He starts to live with confidence. You see, when you start making faith-based decisions, you get stuck in life. You become passive when you lose sight of God, you're, you're stumbling through. When you, see, when you get your head up and you see God, it gives you power and faith and confidence to make decisions that will be good for your life and to move forward. And it's time to do that. When we are confident of God's hand, we can be confident to move forward in our lives as well. And that's how he wants us to live. Friends, there are many reasons not to be confident right now. We've just gone through a pandemic. Maybe we're still experiencing the effects of that. Maybe during that time you have spiritually drifted. Where is my faith anymore? Maybe right now as we're hitting financial pressures, we've got war in Europe, possibly worse to come. Who knows? There's every reason not to be confident. But I believe from this passage that God wants to, us to live with the confidence that Jacob found in chapter 31 when he realises God's hand is on my life. He starts to walk with confidence. He starts to walk away from the things that have held him back before. Laban was trying to hold him down and he said, no, no, God has spoken. God is with me. God's hand's on my life, so I'm going I'm to go. I'm going to make a decision. And that's the way the Christian should live, to walk with confidence you see, for Jacob, God spoke to him. God promised to be with him. God supernaturally provided for him. God blessed him and he lived in, started to live in those promises in a way that he had not lived before. Even though he had heard those things many times before, he wasn't living in the good of it. But he suddenly got his head up. And brothers and sisters, I want to encourage us because God has promised us even more than he promised to Jacob, here. Jacob didn't understand half of what we understand now in Christ. Let me read to you Ephesians 3 16 and 17. What is the promise of God to us in Christ, those who are Christians? What reason do we have to walk confidently? In life, no matter what our circumstances might be. Well, it says this, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That sounds like a confidence building verse to me strengthened with his power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Friend, you may not have health in your body right now. You may not have the answers about tomorrow. You may not have everything in hand. You might not have cash in your pocket, but you have the king of the universe in your heart. Have confidence, friend. Look up. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is in you. Get your head up. Have some courage because in these dark times, that's exactly what this culture needs. That's exactly what this society needs. When everyone else is worried about the economy, when everyone else is worried about what tomorrow might bring, we are to live with our confidence in who we are in Christ and his power at work in us. You might say, well, I can't do that. Do you think Jacob was a prime candidate to live like this? He kept messing things up almost all his life. It's grace. It's grace that God gets hold of our lives. It's grace that gives us confidence. The Bible says again and again, it's the foolish people God takes hold of. It's the broken people that God takes hold of. It's the people that are weak, that haven't got things sorted. And what God does to bring glory to himself is to take them and lift them up and cause them to live confidently because He's put everything they need in them. And I've talked a lot today about taking responsibility for our lives. And you might say, Matt, well, it's all right for you. You've got things together. (laughs) Where does my confidence come from? To live with taking responsibility and to live with purpose. Does it come from gifting? Does it come from circumstance because everything's going okay? Does it come from my own strength or my own wisdom? No, I want to live as taking responsibility for my life because God in Christ is taking responsibility for me. I want to encourage you, whether you have a household of your own or not, You're in the household of God. We can take responsibility for one another. As for me and my household, we shall serve the Lord. Why? Because the Son of God went to the cross and died for my sin and for your sin, so we get to be in his household. He took responsibility for us. You want to understand why God cares so much about us taking responsibility for our household? Because it cost God, his son, to put you in his. He didn't mess around. He didn't drift. He took responsibility for you. He took responsibility for your sin. He took responsibility for your life. Because he cares for you. Because he loves you. Because he's got plans and purposes for your life. And he sent his son to the cross. So that you could come and be part of his household. And live confidently for him. So I want to encourage us today take hold of your life. Take responsibility for your life and take all that you can and submit it to God and say, God, I'm going to live for you and see what he will do with your life. Amen.